8.30 on Thursday, January 24th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, speculation about expanding Medicaid in Mississippi continues to gain attention at the Capitol. Still, the governor says no. We are not going to do that. Then we'll hear the latest from the governor's workforce summit. The workforce summit today is something that's very energizing and very needed. And this is a good opportunity for people to get together and share their success stories and then also to say what's next. Find out how and why college-bound students should apply for state student aid. And in our book club, the Mississippi Gulf Coast is photojournalist Tim Isbell's way to show the beauty after the devastation of Hurricane Katrina. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Legislators and healthcare advocates are meeting with the executive director of the Mississippi Division of Medicaid to learn more about its budget. Director Drew Snyder says enrollment has declined, saving some money. That means no budget shortfall this year. When questions turn to Medicaid expansion, Snyder says... Medicaid expansion is not on our, our agenda in any way, and we're focused on you know, res, uh, responsibly pro- providing access to quality care for beneficiaries and better value to the taxpayer. Federal and state dollars fund the health insurance program, which received $5.85 billion last year, according to their financial report. Snyder tells MPB's Desiree Fraser more. Look, I appreciate the, the committee inviting us in. Um, they're really engaged, asked some, asked some great questions, and I was you know, look, glad to get an opportunity to talk a little bit about what Medicaid has is, is been doing and where we're going. It's been said that um, you've been complimented for being more transparent in how you handle the agency. Your thoughts on that? I'd like to think that was true. I mean, we, we've made a concerted effort to, uh, to strengthen transparency, transparency efforts so that people know what we're doing good and, and, um, and when we can be better. So uh, I think you're going to see more information coming on our, our, on our dashboard. And, um, you know, we're going to try to get some more information out there for the public so they can understand uh, what's happening with the $6.1 billion that we spend every year. Do you anticipate being able to save more money, or is it going to be level funded? Uh, I, I think we're going to be. We've asked for about two point two percent more in spending in F, FY twenty compared to nineteen. So um, there there may be a slight uptick, but I, I don't expect it's going to be um, dr- dramatic. And it's still you know, well under what uh, what what we're seeing nationally in healthcare inflation. Division of Medicaid Director Drew Snyder. Governor Phil Bryant has opposed the move. He reiterated his position during his workforce summit yesterday. Every year the Hospital Association gives us a plan of how, what expansion would look like. Every year we thank them very much for being involved in the process of the legislature. Uh, but you've looked at a, a lawsuit that I was a, a part of where our Texas judge, Judge O'Connor, said that it was unconstitutional, that Obamacare was unconstitutional on its face. So I believe that will go to the United States Supreme Court. I believe the Supreme Court will overturn it. It would be a fool's errand for us to expand Medicaid and the Supreme Court overturn the very law that establishes that expansion. So we are not going to do that. Director Snyder has said expanding Medicaid is up to the legislature. Still, advocates are pressing forward. Roy Mitchell is executive director of the Mississippi Health Advocacy Program. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier he's hopeful. I heard a lot of promise. I actually heard that our governor is no longer going to be an impediment to Medicaid expansion. 
Uh, I heard uh, the director say that it's up to the legislature to decide Medicaid expansion, and that, that's good for Mississippians because here, heretofore there's been a disconnect between public opinion and public policy in this state. Every poll says that the majority of Mississippians support Medicaid expansion. The most recent said that three out of five Mississippians support Medicaid expansion. So if the governor is going to step out of the way and let the legislature decide this, let it be. And, and that's again, that's very encouraging to hear that from the director of Medicaid. Well, he wouldn't stop it, but the governor did say today uh, that he is not for it that he has talked to people about it and has heard from them. but I just heard an officer of the executive branch, um, the director of Medicaid, who was appointed by the governor, say that, that it's up to the legislature to, to decide that. What happens now in your mind? In my mind, it's, it's up for Mississippians to step forward and contact their legislator and tell them they support Medicaid expansion. They've been telling um, people like me that for 10 years now, seven years to be exact. And uh, they've been telling pollsters that for a long time. It's everybody needs to contact their legislators and tell them they support Medicaid expansion. It's time to stop the bleeding. It's time to stop rural hospital bankruptcy, rural hospital closures. Um, and we just saw uh, a, a near hospital closure in the Medicaid chair's backyard in Amory, Mississippi. Uh, that hospital filed for bankruptcy. And uh, I dare say if Medicaid had been expanded, that that hospital would not have found itself in that financial situation. What about the ruling that it's unconstitutional, even though it hasn't been dismantled? I mean, does that suggest that there's going to be some problems ahead? There's been a, a lot of court challenges on a lot of issues related to the ACA. And the ACA is still here, and it's still benefiting a lot of people. I, You know, we've heard the sky is falling for a long time on the ACA, and it just hasn't, it just hasn't come to fruition. MHAP Executive Director Roy Mitchell with MPB's Desiree Frazier. Medicaid Director Drew Snyder says they are working on helping some of the state's rural hospitals. We're a very rural state. We've been having a lot of conversations about what we can, uh, what, what we can do to um, help our rural hospitals uh, you know, prosper and continue to be you know, anchors for their uh, their community. And I think that that's something that with uh, with some some payment methodology efforts that uh, that we're looking at, and and, uh, and hopefully uh, you know we'll continue to have ha- have some conversations um, there. About 24 percent of Mississippi's nearly three million residents are enrolled in Medicaid. Though Governor Bryant is not in support of Medicaid expansion, he is promoting workforce development across the state. During his Wednesday summit, he spoke on jobs and families. We've got almost 45,000 job openings in the state of Mississippi. We need to fill those. So the companies and corporations that are in this room today, over 700 represented here, are the human resources director. They are the people that can go out. They know where uh, our skilled workforce is at or how we can get them back into a workforce training uh, program and get these 45,000 jobs filled. One thing we keep hearing is about the low participation rate. How do you get people up and moving? And we do have a sedentary population where some may be ill or dealing yeah, with... It, it is. I think you have to start looking at non-traditional ways of doing that. We talked today about child care, how we can make sure that we've got uh, ladies, women who are looking for a job, but they can't find a place to put their children. Number one reason that women aren't working now is child care. So we spend about $98 million a year on that. We 
got to put a learning component in those daycare centers so those children are learning those soft skills that they need, like conflict resolution uh, and teamwork. And so they will be the workforce of the future. At the same time, helping that mom uh, find a training program, help her find a job, help her uh, put that uh, child on the SNAPS program uh, if necessary. So it is a continuum of helping the entire family, uh, starting with that job. Governor Phil Bryant. Jack Bellotta is vice president of Milwaukee Tool in Greenwood. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier companies like his need committed him. Our biggest challenges right now uh, are, are being able to stay staffed to meet the growth that is possible. Business is extremely good and we're looking for people that want to come to Milwaukee Tool, build a career and and grow there. Uh, I mean, we've got, you know, great starter jobs for people that are just getting started in their role in life, but what they need to understand is the opportunity there to grow. We're promoting people from within, and, you know, who starts today could be, um, you know, a, a high-level manager eight, ten years down the road from now. So we need people to make that investment. We're willing to make the investment in them. We need the same in return. How's the salaries? Have you been able to pinpoint why people don't stay? Uh, I think one of the biggest reasons right now when people start an entry-level job is I think overall we're doing a poor job educating the youth and what insurance benefits mean, what's the value of a 401k and those kind of things because people don't understand what all they're getting that they can't actually touch. And I think that's one thing we need to continue to do better in educating people. So when they come out of high school and they go to a place to look for employment, they should be asking, you know, what's your insurance coverage like? What about 401K? Because when you provide those kind of things, it's it's a significant cost to the company, huge benefit to the employee. But if they don't understand what they should be getting uh, or what they are getting, it's, it's easy to leave it. You know, if they can't touch it, it doesn't seem real. But it is real. Milwaukee Tool Vice President Jack Bellotto with our Desiree Frazier. To see our team's updates throughout the day, follow MPB News on Twitter. Coming up, find out how and why college-bound students should apply for state student aid. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Can we get real for a second about New Year's resolutions? That tidy list of all the swell things we're going to do to make 2019 pretty darn perfect. Lose weight, quit smoking, save money. What if this year, instead, you simply determined to think in new ways? To learn one little thing every day. MPB Think Radio can help. Information that enhances your health, can inspire your finances, and uplift your spirits. Even opportunities to volunteer. All at mpbonline.org. Sometimes real is better than perfect. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's state-supported financial aid programs are having a positive impact on students. That's according to a report released by the state's longitudinal data system called LifeTracks. They say recipients of the state's three undergraduate grant programs graduated higher rates than similar students who do not receive state aid. Forgivable loan recipients also see benefits. The Mississippi Office of Student Financial aid administers all state student financial aid programs, which include undergraduate and graduate grant opportunities. Jennifer Rogers is the director. She says less than 20 percent of enrolled Mississippi students receive state aid. We asked her how students learn about financial aid availability. We do a lot of outreach with our partners. Um, The Woodward Hines Education Foundation has get-to-college centers throughout the state, um, and they are truly the, the feet on the ground. 
that get the word out. We do cross-training with the staff of the Get to College Centers, um, and they provide a lot of in-school services and a lot of counselor training. And then, of course, we work with the institutions, the, the community colleges, public universities, and the private colleges to provide information and to ensure that already enrolled students are aware of, of the opportunities as well. How many different financial aid programs are there in the state? There are three primary programs, grant programs, available to undergraduate students, um, and that, those are the Mississippi Tuition Assistance Grant, which we call MTAG, the Mississippi Eminent Scholars Grant, which we refer to as either Eminent Scholars or MESG, and then the HELP Grant, which is the Higher Education Legislative Plan for Needy Students. In addition to those undergraduate grants, there are probably about 25 small boutique programs and forgivable loan programs. There's a new report out that shows positive outcomes. What have those programs done in terms of helping a student through so that they graduate? So for MTAG, MESG, and HELP, all three programs showed improved six-year graduation rates. The results were somewhat mixed um, in terms of employment outcomes the first year out, but the report was, we, we did only look at first year out of college. So the report doesn't take into account graduate school, moving out of state, possibly working for oneself. Um, there are a lot of things that, of course, that, that data can't capture. How was the study conducted? We worked with the LifeTracks, um, which is the state longitudinal data system, to conduct the analysis. And what they did was they created comparison groups so that they studied students who actually received the aid compared to similar students who did not receive aid for whatever reason. All of Mississippi's undergraduate grant programs require students to enroll full-time. They requ require students to maintain a certain GPA. For some of them, there are heightened academic requirements to get the aid in the first place. So MTAG is simply a residency grant. If you are a Mississippi resident and you score at least a 15 on the ACT and a 2.5 high school GPA and you enroll full-time in college, you can receive MTAG. The HELP grant is the state's only program that is available to students with financial need. So the HELP grant requires a 20 on the ACT, a 2.5 high school GPA, a specific core curriculum in high school, and the student has to come from a family that makes below a certain income threshold. Um, and then the Eminent Scholars grant is for high-achieving high school students, 29 or better on the ACT, 3.5 high school GPA, and the student also has to enroll full-time. So each of our grant programs has different eligibility requirements. And so when, when we were conducting the study, we were trying to isolate the impact of the aid. You know, what does the aid do to help students complete? So we were only comparing recipients of the aid to mm -hmm. students who were similar in terms of their demographic makeup, their academic preparation coming into school, whether or not they were enrolled full-time, those sorts of things. You mentioned forgivable loans which yes. made my ears perk up, and I'm sure others. What does that mean exactly? Okay, a forgivable loan is a loan. Um, it is given to students while they're enrolled in college, um, but it is given with the promise of being forgiven or canceled if the student agrees to work in the state for a certain period of time after graduation. So 
For example, the William Winter Teacher Forgivable Loan Program is available to students who are in teacher prep programs in any of our institutions in the state that offer those. And they receive about $4,000 per year. And then when they finish, if they take a job in a public school anywhere in the state of Mississippi or in a charter school district, they will have one year of loan forgiven for each year that they are teachers. Should students hoping to attend college already have applied for financial aid in the state? No. Um, now's the time to do that. We encourage all students to submit the application for student financial aid. There is a single application for all of our programs. Unfortunately, we have not um, been able to award forgivable loans to students in recent years due to budget constraints. However, all of the undergraduate grants have been fully funded, so we do encourage students to get those applications in. The federal financial aid form and the state financial aid application both opened on October 1 for students who will be attending for the 2019-20 academic year. So seniors in high school now can start applying for financial aid now along with their admissions applications. They have until... March 31st to submit an application for the HELP grant, and they have until September 15th to submit an application for MTAG and MESG. So they don't have to have chosen their school already? No, they do not. They have time to make that decision. Jennifer Rogers is the director of Mississippi Office of Student Financial Aid. Jennifer, thank you very much. You're welcome. Each year, the Mississippi legislature appropriates nearly $40 million for support of the state's student financial aid programs. Public, private, two-year, and four-year college students in Mississippi may be eligible for state aid. Learn more by visiting msfinancialaid.org. Coming up in our book club, the Mississippi Gulf Coast is photojournalist Tim Isbell's way to show the beauty after the devastation of Hurricane Katrina. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Whether traveling through Oxford or Tupelo, stuck in traffic in Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs, MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org slash underwriting to find out how. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. When some people think of the Mississippi Gulf Coast, they remember the devastation of Hurricane Katrina. That's certainly the case with Tim Isbell. As a longtime photojournalist with the Sun-Herald in Biloxi, he took photo after photo of the coast in crisis. For that reason, Isbell released his new book, The Mississippi Gulf Coast. He says it was his mission to show off the beauty of the coast while keeping in mind what happened there in the summer of 2005. I've always said the camera was my shield. As long as it was in front of my my face, I felt like I could shoot just about anything. And to an extent, I went through my career that way, And but there was always times where, you know, the subject matter just got to you. And, of course, Hurricane Katrina was one of those. I mean, I was taking pictures after the storm, and I think a photographer from Jackson saw them, and they said, how are you doing? And I said, well, it's hard to take pictures with tears in your eyes. And that was Katrina. that I could never, just about any assignment would get to me because at that point in my life, the Mississippi Gulf Coast was my home. You know, everything I shot, I had a prior knowledge of, or it was people I knew somehow, some way, or even to the fact 
someone I'd taken pictures of before. I've all I've joked that I worked at the Sun Herald so long that I probably took pictures of most of the people who lived here. And it wasn't just getting the picture; it was you were living that. You know, you're always taught as a photojournalist that you sort of get close to the subject matter and all that, and and you sort of experience the way of every assignment. But Katrina was so much more intense that that was a very hard period to take pictures. If someone has not been to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, they can find it in this book. They can live vicariously on the Gulf Coast by looking, reading this book, looking at the photos, because it really seems that comprehensive. Tell us how long this book was in the making. It was probably about a decade, because it grew out of Katrina. I was taking pictures of just the misery down here, and uh I made the promise to myself that one day I would do a book that showed the beautiful Mississippi Gulf Coast, not the destroyed Mississippi Gulf Coast. So it was a a long process, but it was initial thought was how can we ever recover? And that thought became, yes, we will recover. And there were just different things along the way that made me think doing this book was would would be really good. I remember Haley Barber saying that if we came back just the way we were, we failed, that he wanted us to come back better than, than ever. And I think we're heading that way. I mean, when the tornado hit Hattiesburg years ago, I called my photographer friends up there, and I said, look, I've been through Katrina. I said, when you're covering a disaster like that, it's like a marathon instead of a sprint. I mean, you're going to be covering it forever. And... I think to this day I'm probably still covering Katrina some, but it, this book probably is the way I'd like to cover it to show a beautiful coast. And I think you do that. These photos are beautiful, and you do have lots of sunsets that you said you started taking as a kid. I assume the pictures came first, and then you wrote the copy, and you also have some wonderful quotes in here from people. So tell us how the book came together in that regard. You, you did the photos first? I'll start with the pictures. So I usually write with the picture right there in front of me on the computer screen and, and it helps me transform myself to that time or moment. For me, at least, that just helps me become a better writer. What is your favorite part of the book? Oh, man. <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> uh, well, it started with the sunrises, so I'd probably say that. At first, I shot them sort of just as therapy for me. I wanted to see, you know, when you have to cover a natural disaster, you're you're seeing so much damage and misery and broken lives that I just, it was nice to just go out and take a picture of something that didn't immediately say, gee, this is Hurricane Katrina. Even though most of these pictures are an offshoot of Katrina, but uh, probably the sunrises. It's a moment, even on my previous books, that the sunrises were a, a moment I could go out by myself. Moment of self-reflection, the moment to see the beauty I have jokingly said that God provided the uh, light and subject matter, and I provide the exposure. And I try to say thank you every time I see one of those magnificent sunrises that we have down here on the coast. You also have a photo of a rainbow at Simpson Pier, and you see a seagull against the clouds. That's very serene looking. It is. That's one of my favorite spots. Normally, it's a great sunset spot, but I was out that morning, and at that point, the book was taking play. You could see it falling into play, so I'm like, well, I can't do a book of sunrises. I need such and such spots with different looks. 
And one day I was just out driving, I think it was on a Saturday, and that rainbow just popped up, and I rushed to Simpson Pier to get it from that angle. The book is The Mississippi Gulf Coast, the author and photographer, Timothy T. Isbell. Tim, thank you so much. Best of luck with the book. Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Creature Comforts. Then at 10 o'clock, it's MPB's all-new show, Autocorrect. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy Kids and Teens. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about a story or send us a news tip by visiting MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.